Well, good morning, Edgewood. It's a joy to be with you here this morning. In that video, Emma J showed us how to effectively engage society, but we must spend time alone with God, perhaps out in his creation, and most certainly in prayer and in his word. This is what Jesus would often do. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray, sometimes staying up all night long. He would be rejuvenated by being alone with his father and ready to minister to the crowds. We can see this clearly in Luke 6.12. He went out and spent time alone with his father right before he gave the most famous sermon that we know of, the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of our text today from Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16, but I want to share with you Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 16. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how then can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, but should be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now that teaching from Jesus was very radical at the time. But I would say not only then, but now. But it is life-giving teaching. So we want to start with a few introductory points. The first one is this, the importance of Scripture memory. Jesus knew Scripture. He was able to use it to defeat temptation against Satan. We're told all over Scripture to memorize it, to hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your, in your hearts to God. So we need to know God's word in order to effectively engage society. Number two, blessing in the kingdom of God is defined differently. We see that here, right, in the Beatitudes. When we think of blessing here, especially in this country, we think of health, wealth, and prosperity, And surely God does bless people in those ways at times, but that is not promised in Scripture. We see in Scripture people who are blessed like Abraham in the Old Testament. He was called blessed then to go and be a blessing, but he was basically a nomad. He had to go to a country that he did not know, leave everything that he once knew, and to go to a land that God would show him. But God called him 
blessed. Think of Mary in the New Testament, the mother of Jesus. At one time, she was going to be accused of adultery against Joseph. Think of what she saw Jesus on the cross being beaten and whipped and seeing her own son die, but she was called blessed. So when we think of blessing in scripture, we need to think of it not in our sense here today, but in the biblical sense. The fact that Jesus is with us, we have a relationship with him, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what is going on in our life. Number three, Christians are called to be salt and light. And we can live this out as if it is actually true. Because in scripture, we see who God is. We see the meta-narrative of scripture. We see creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We have the storyline of history, and we know that through God's word. We also know what truth is. That's not just an idea or concept, but it is a person in Jesus. We have identity in scripture, so we know who we are, made in the image of God. And if you are saved today, then you are also, on top of that, a child of God. From scripture, we have meaning and purpose, and we know our future destiny with him or apart from him. So our main idea for today is this. If the Christian worldview is true, then it must be lived out in order to help create a more flourishing society. And today we're going to make a case for how this is possible. But I want to open up in prayer. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the freedom that we have here today, Lord, to speak truth and to be in your word and to gather And Lord, this is not the case in many places around the Lord. We pray that you'd be with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who, Lord, long for your word and they long for this teaching, God. But I pray that you'd sustain sustain them and bless them in the biblical sense, God, with your presence and a relationship with them. Lord, again, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray uh, that peace would come to, to Gaza and Ukraine and different places in the Europe and Middle East. And God, it's so hard, it's so tragic to see these things unfolding. But God, we believe ultimately that you are in control. And we trust you, God. Lord, I pray that as a result of everything happening right now in the world, that many would come to saving faith. And that would, they would believe that you are the only way and the truth and the life. You're the only one that can bring true peace. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words today. I pray that you would help us to have receptive hearts and ears uh, from this message. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So going to the text today, in verse 13 of Matthew 5, it says, you are the salt of the earth. So what is the significance of salt here? Well, salt gives flavor. It's a preservative. It prevents from corruption. In scripture, it's seen as an image of wisdom. Some commentators think that when it loses its taste, it could mean it becomes foolish. And being foolish or being called fool in the Bible is not a good thing. You don't want to lose your flavor if you are the salt of the earth. But it also says this, salt reserves or serves mainly to give flavor and to prevent corruption. Disciples, if they are true to their calling, make the earth a purer and more palatable place. But they can do so only as long as they preserve their distinct character. Unsalty salt has no more value. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, Paul reminds us of this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. In our conversations with people, we need to ask for wisdom from God and so that we can have words that are seasoned with salt. 
So as messed up as the world is today, the church, I believe, has done its job in keeping the world from a worse state of corruption. If you think about the state of the world today and how bad it is, what would it be like if the Christian faith had never spread to the ends of the earth? Think of all the things that Christianity has done for the world. We're going to talk about that more at the end, but let that stick in your mind. We'll come back to that. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What is the significance of light here? Well, first of all, light, what is it? In a scientific sense, light is electromagnetic radiation that can be perceived by the human eye. But when God said, let there be light, light came pouring out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles a second. Light is a force of nature. But light in the symbolic sense, also think of it in that way. It can be small. A single flame can still, up a, still light up a dark room. So even if you, as a believer, are the only Christian in your, your family, your school, your workplace, you can still make a difference there. Light, like salt, affects its environment by being distinctive. The disciple who is visibly different from other men will have an effect on them. That's what we want to do. And scripture is full of references to light. I want to show some of these. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, the folding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. In John 1, let's go to verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Then John 8, look at what Jesus calls himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, since Jesus is the light, then we as followers are meant to shine as lights in the world. Paul quoting Isaiah in Acts 13, 47 says this, for the So the Lord commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is our job to shine as lights in the world. And back to the text in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So the aim of this person's good works is not to parade his own virtue, but to direct attention to the God who inspired them. This is what people often do when they're praised. Oh, well, praise God, you know, pointing Back to him. You think of athletes or people giving speeches sometimes if they're believers. They like to give that praise to him and point upward when they get a touchdown or uh, hit a home run, that kind of thing. It's trying to get the, 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 the eyes off them and back onto God for giving them those abilities and those types of things. And that's what we should do when people praise us and say good things about us. We'll praise God that he is using me. I have some friends who started a missions organization called 516 Now several years ago and this organization exists to build holy, prosperous, and sustainable communities, mostly in the Central America area, 
But what they do, they don't just partner with churches. They do that first, but then they partner with schools and the administrators there, and they partner with the local government and people who are in charge of these different towns and villages. They partner with doctors and hospitals. They seek a holistic approach to ministry. And then they seek to change the entire community through giving glory to God through these different acts of kindness and serving those communities. And they're seeing whole communities transformed because of that verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if the Christian worldview is true, then it must be lived out to help create a more flourishing society. But this must start on the individual level with each of us and then spread outward from there and have an effect in our church and then our churches and our community and then the church at large. So how we're going to do this today and look at this is look at these three words, up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. So living out our faith begins with the correct understanding of who God is and then who we are. So first up, our relationship with God up. It starts here from the top down. We need a steady diet of time alone with God, reading, studying, memorizing scripture, plus praying and practicing the spiritual disciplines. This is how we grow. Perhaps you've plateaued in your faith or you're going backwards. You just need to get back in God's word. You need to pray. You need to fellowship with other believers. You need to worship and glorify him. Maybe you haven't had the desire and you don't know how to do that apart from coming to church, but we need to do this on our own. Maybe we need to ask God for that desire. Listen to these verses from these psalmists, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. When was the last time we felt like that when it came to our relationship with God? Psalm 96.9, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He is good and righteous and perfect. We need to worship him as such. Romans 12.1, this is where our series started with worldview. We're going to spend some time in Romans 12 today as well, but it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of, of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your, what, spiritual worship. By presenting ourselves to God, that is an act of worship. But relationship with God is key. We must hide his word in our hearts so we not sin against him. And we must walk by the Spirit so we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we would just do those things, if we'd hide his word in our heart, we walk by the Spirit, we would not be giving in to sin and our relationship with God would be that much better. So up, we must make sure our relationship with God is where it should be. And then in, we're going to look at two things when we look in. Our relationship to ourselves, then our relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ here today. First off, ourselves. Today we live in the midst of hustle culture with the mantra of many saying rise and grind. It's all about being busy and doing all kinds of things. We wear our business like a badge of honor in our society here today. But I was talking to my mom the other day. She was asking us how we were doing. And I said these words. I said, life has never been busier, but at the same time, life has never been better. And I kind of thought that was an odd way to say that. I didn't 
quite know what I was saying as I said it. But that was back in August when we were very busy. We had a lot going on. But part of that, I think, was true because we don't want to be busy just for the sake of being busy, but to be productive, to bear fruit. That's what we want to be doing ultimately. We were made by God to be producers, not consumers. Yet in America, that's all we do. We must fight against that. Because being a consumer merely lends itself to selfishness and individualism, which is ruining people, and it's making people more isolated. It's ruining families entirely. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't want to just do what everyone else is doing. Not just being busy for the sake of being busy. If we're going to be busy, let's make sure we're producing fruit. We're being productive. That is how God made us. But we live in the age of distraction. And we're constantly given all kinds of messages, distractions and addictions, so many messages and information. What do we do with it all? We don't know how to filter it all and we become overwhelmed. One of the things I came across recently, and I would love to show this with you today, is this Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. It's in a book, and also he's given some talks on this. But I think this is really helpful for us to see because of all the messages, all the, the, the so-called wisdom and knowledge out there today. How do you take things in and know what's good for you and what's not good for you? How do you filter things in and out? Well, if we think of this Wisdom Pyramid like the Food Pyramid, there's obviously some things that are better than others for us, right? So we need a healthy diet of these these things. And so if you look at the base of this triangle, we have God's word, and that's where we need to get the bulk of our wisdom and knowledge. We can trust that everything in it is good and right and true. On top of that is the church. We need to fellowship with other believers, but we're not here every single day, right? But we should be in God's word every single day. We may not be, but that's where we should be. And then on top of that, nature, creation, how, much of, how many of us actually spend time out in God's creation, his general revelation? So not only do we have that, we have God's word, a special revelation, but he's given us the general revelation so that people can know that there is a creator God. We need to spend time with him, just like in the video we saw earlier, and be alone with him like Jesus would with his father. On top of that, we have books. There's really good resources out there. And uh, culture, beauty, art, culture, music, those types of things. We want a good steady diet of that. But of course, with some of those things, you have to filter through. Some of that's good, some of that's bad. And then on the very top, we got internet and social media. Now, you can find some good things there, but for the most part, there's a lot of junk. We all know this to be true. Now, here's the thing about this wisdom pyramid. Hopefully, it's helpful for you. But I think a lot of us here today, but probably much of the world, has this completely flipped around spend most of our time on the internet and social media getting our wisdom and knowledge and information. We probably spend a few minutes, if, if daily, in God's word. But we could scroll for five hours on the internet and social media and the time just flies by and we don't even recognize that. But keep that in mind as you think about wisdom and knowledge in the world and in God's word, where we get all of that. Here, another helpful way this might um, be beneficial for you is to think of things in terms of this, these three categories, receive, reject, redeem, receive, reject, redeem. So we have things like God's word and the church and things like worship music. Obviously there is wisdom there and, and filtering some of those things. Not all churches are preaching the truth. Not all worship songs that come on the radio are the best possibly. <laughs> uh, so we need to think through that as well. But then there are things in the reject category that 
ultimately we know are wrong and we should completely reject them. Specific sins named in the Bible, things that are ruining people's lives and families on the internet like pornography. Think of things like mind-altering drugs that people are addicted to and it's ruining people's lives, things that we can easily put in the reject category. And then there's that redeem category. Things like art and culture, music and movies and sports and internet and social media. There's some good, there's some bad, but those things can be used for good if we know how to use them. There's some things uh, that could hurt us and they could mess up our relationship with God. So we just need to be wise about those things. So think of those things in those categories. Maybe the wisdom period, maybe the receive, reject, redeem categories. Now speaking of social media, the internet, think of smartphones. We all need to at one time or another, think through how we're using that and are we doing a good job of that? But I also want to talk to, to parents in here about phones and for your kids. Here's one thing I would say to you to encourage you with. Do not give your kids unfettered access to phones today. There has to be some kind of limitations on there and time and, and some of the things, the restrictions that you need to put on there. There is so much junk. They will find it. And if they don't find it, it will find them. Pops up, pop-ups and ads and all of that. When we think we need to constantly be entertaining our kids, giving them stuff to do, and I get that. I have four kids, you know? But I think it's also okay for our kids to be bored at times. That helps them to be creative. Recently, as our kids have been saying, I'm bored, I want something to do. Well, I'm going to start giving them chores to do. Maybe you should (laughs) do that. But it's so sad in this day and age, our attention spans, not just kids, but the average human today... Our attention spans, they say, is now eight seconds because of all the mindless scrolling. Think of the videos on TikTok and Facebook that you can go through, and you might scroll past 10 before you finally find one that you want to look at and might entertain you for a few seconds. That's pretty bad when they say the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. (laughs) But studies are showing today highly negative effects in general when it comes to your kids and phones, especially uh, kids and preteens. So we need to be very careful how we use that and for our family's health. But also our own health, our mental, physical, and spiritual health. We must take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. Not only our own families, but so that we can serve others. And some of us aren't doing this very well. We need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others. Now, we don't want to go like where the culture is going when it's just completely the self-care society or the fitness culture and you, those things become gods and idols. We see a lot of people doing that today. But it is important to exercise and rest and eat right so that we can take care of ourselves and other people and the people we're around and serving. But be careful not to allow those things like body image to become an idol as well. When it comes to idols, John Tyson says it this way, disordered loves lead to disordered lives. Disordered loves lead to disordered lives. Now in our relationship with other people here, the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, think of community. We were made for this. We were made for relationship. And what we want to do now is go to Romans 12. If you want to turn there, we'll also have it on the screen. But we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our time in Romans 12, 9 through 21, this first section, we're going to look at 9 through 13 because I think it fits well with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ here today. Now, each of these verses could be a point of application. We'll have some more application at the end, but each of these could serve well as a point of application. But starting in verse 9, it says this, let love be genuine. 
Let it be real, sincere, authentic, not fake. It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We need to hate evil and love good. Love one another with brotherly affection. This comes from the Greek word phileo, that type of love. Think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Most cultures do this better than ours. If you travel to another culture, if some of those, place, some of those people come here, they'll often give gifts and honor of you for staying with you and that type of thing. We can learn from them. Do not be slothful in zeal. We need to enthusiastically pursue a cause. God has given each of us a mission to pursue. We must do that enthusiastically. Be fervent in spirit. Be passionate about God and your relationship with him and your love and care for other people. Serve the Lord. Ask yourself, where do I serve him? I would say not only here in the church, but outside the church. Perhaps we need one place at least in the church to serve him and one place outside the church to serve him as well. But ask yourself, where am I serving him? Because that's what we're called to do. Rejoice in hope. Be, be patient in tribulation. Those two speak for themselves. Be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We need to give to others expecting nothing in return. That completely goes against our culture. When we give something to someone, we expect something in return. But that's not the way of Jesus. And then seek to show hospitality. Share where you live with others. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I can't do that because of the place I live or the circumstances I'm in. Well, show hospitality by taking someone out to eat or take them out to coffee. But we're called to show hospitality to people. But when I see these verses, I, it makes me think of the Greek word for Christian fellowship, which, which is koinonia. And it's something very unique about Christian fellowship that I believe other religions do not experience. One of the best books I believe written on hospitality is by uh, Rosaria Butterfield. The gospel comes with a house key. And in her story there, and then a, a previous book memoir that she wrote, she shares her story how she was a far left, lesbian, progressive um, um, teacher at a, at a university who, after writing some different papers against the Christian faith, uh, a pastor and his wife wrote her and said, hey, we want to invite you into our, our home and get to, to get to know you a little bit better. And then maybe you can learn more about the Christian faith of that. And so over the next two years, she would come to their house almost weekly and learn from them and hear about the Christian faith. And they basically loved her into the kingdom. She eventually became a believer. Not only that, she ended up marrying a Presbyterian pastor and then adopted kids and became a homeschool mom. Like, how is that possible apart from Jesus completely changing someone's life? But taking care of people, looking out for them, showing hospitality, adopting, those are things that Christians do. That's what we're called to. That's what God's word says, that we care for orphans and widows. We care for the immigrant and the refugee. We open our homes to our neighbors and the nations. That's just what Christians do. That should be normal for us. In Luke 10, 25 through 37, the story of the Good Samaritan shows us that loving our neighbor is anyone we encounter, whether we like them or not. Now, all of that to say, how do we live out our faith in society Let's look outward now, our relationship to the world, 
culture, society. Well, with advancements in technology, medicine, psychology, AI, you would think life would be getting better, easier for people. But no, it's not that way. Maybe modern conveniences are helping people make life a little easier in some ways. But think about some of these things. Today, a third of adults will deal with some form of anxiety. Mental health issues have skyrocketed among millennials and Gen Z. Suicide rates have increased by 30% over the last 15 years. The first funeral I ever conducted by was by someone who uh, took their own life. Medical-assisted suicide in Canada is increasing at an exponential rate. Now, we obviously know a, big bit, a, a huge part of the problem here is we are living in a more godless society, more hopeless society. It's not only we're living in the age of distraction, we're living in the age of despair. But we as believers must show the world an alternative lifestyle. So studies today are showing what people actually want deep down. What actually makes people happy when these studies are done? Well, some of their findings have been this. People want to have family. They want to have a few close friendships. They want to have meaningful work, and they want to have some sort of religious or spiritual experience. But most people aren't pursuing that in the world today. They're pursuing money and fame and empty relationships and entertainment. But these things that people want deep down, what actually makes them happy, shows what scripture says is actually true. So if we're going to live out our faith in society and show people a better way, we need to be willing to do some radical things. Now we're going to look at the rest of these verses from Romans 12. Let's look at 14 through 21. But let me say to you, this is a much harder list to do well. It says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Okay, remember the Beatitudes. Blessing looks different in Scripture than it does in the world's eyes. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We need to practice presence with people. We don't always have to say something. We can just be there for them. Live in harmony with one another. This is opposite of our culture today. That is shouting and there's anger and there's vitriol. We must show people that we can live in harmony, not only with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but with them as well. Do not be haughty. Do not think of yourselves better than other people or superior. Associate with the lowly. Spend time with people you wouldn't normally spend time with because of your Christian faith. Never be wise in your own sight. There's a vast difference between confidence and narcissism. Narcissism is wrapped up in self-centeredness and thinking that you have it all figured out and no one can help you and give you the answers that you need because you already know it all. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, how are we live in peace and harmony with people today? Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. We as human beings, we love a good revenge film. We, we like to watch those stories where someone gets what's coming to them. But on our individual level, that's not the way of Jesus. We're not called to do that. We leave that in God's hands. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. And lastly, do not not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that is not an easy list, but that is what we are called to as believers. 
And I love what this section in scripture in Romans 12 is entitled, Marks of a True Christian. Marks of a True Christian. So sharing truth and love with people, that's just what Christians do. We engage the culture, we ask good questions, we help people to think about their beliefs and how they arrived at them. Jesus did this masterfully. He asked something like 300 questions in scripture and the gospels there in order to help people understand their beliefs, but pointing to him ultimately that he was the answer to all of their questions. But I would say today in our culture, in our world, in our society, people today have a very surface level view and understanding of Christianity. When a lot of people think of Christianity, they think of things just like, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. There's moral failure from all the pastors and priests out there today. They think of things like right-wing politics or the past sins of the church throughout history. And some of those things are true of Christians and the Christian faith in the past. We must move past that and show people that there is a better way. Think of Christians, Christians' history throughout uh, the world. There are books written about this today that you can learn, you can share with other people. Books like The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark or Dominion, How Christianity Remade the World by Tom Holland. There's another one we have out here called How Christianity Transformed the World by Sharon James. There are so many books written today about how Christianity has transformed the landscape of the world throughout history and has made it a much better place than it would be without it. We have some other books out there as well, A Practical Guide to Culture and Restoring All Things by John Stone Street. Might want to check some of those out that you can purchase at the cafe. But listen to a few of these things that Christianity has brought to the world. Lifelong monogamous marriages, elevation of women, growth in the midst of persecution throughout history, Christian love through epidemics and pandemics, the starting of hospitals and orphanages, the scientific revolution began with Christians wanting to explore the universe and learn and know more about God. The ending of slavery in Europe is because of Christians. Humanitarian aid today, believers are often the first ones there in places of crisis. Also think of the Christian view of morality, human dignity, human rights, freedom, racial equality, and religious liberty are all rooted in Christianity. If it weren't for the Christian faith, where would we be in the world today? So if the Christian worldview is true, then it must be lived out to help create a more flourishing society. We think of all the wars and all the hate and the anger going on in our culture, but the other side of the world today, and you think, well, is there any hope? And I would say to you, Jesus is our only hope. We must spread the good news to the ends of the earth so people can know him, and that is what will change the world. Now let's look at some application points for today. Let's read, study, and memorize scripture. Maybe a good place to start is sections of the Sermon on the Mount or Romans 12 that we just looked at. We need to know God's word in order to combat sin, in order to share that with others as we encounter on a daily basis. Use wisdom, number two, and discernment when it comes to engaging with the culture. We don't want to turn our brains off when we watch shows or listen to music. Everything that comes in must be filtered through a mind that is in Christ Jesus. We need to think in terms perhaps in the wisdom pyramid or receive, reject, redeem. What can I do with this thing? Is this helping me or is this hurting me? Number three, be intentional when it comes to the health of you and your family. 
the mental, physical, spiritual health, the things that we are engaged with, the things that we're watching and doing, is this helpful or is this hurtful? Number four, engage the culture by sharing truth and love and asking good questions. This is what we're called to, to go out to the world and to share the good news of the gospel, to love people into the kingdom. And number five, being salt and light in society begins with knowing and following Jesus. If you want to make a difference out there, it starts in here and it starts in your heart and knowing and following him. I love the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. It's a tragic but ever hopeful story of missionaries who went to work with the Harani Indians of Ecuador in the 1950s. Many of you know this story. Their family and four other families went there and these Five men, they went to share the good news of the gospel with the Indians who lived there in the jungles of Ecuador. And after making a few attempts and and getting to know them and thinking things were going well, eventually the Indians turned on them and killed all five of the missionaries. And then at that point, the wives, they had to make a decision. We go home to our families and start over, which I wouldn't fault them for that. I don't think anyone would have, but they decided to stay. They decided to befriend some of the the women of the tribe there, eventually getting closer to them and sharing the good news of the gospel. And then many, if not most of the people in that tribe eventually became believers, even some of the ones that had murdered their husbands. And people would often ask Elizabeth Elliot, how did you do it? How did you stay there? Like, what's your secret? And she would say this, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's always better than you could ever imagine. The secret is Christ and me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Man, you think about that. Often we want to change our circumstances. We want to change our job, workplace, or we want to get a new family. We want to start over. And sometimes some of those things might need to change, right? But we're still having to live with ourselves, right? So the secret must be Christ and me not mean a different set of circumstances. So if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, I would encourage you to reach out to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to lead your life and believe that he died for you and rose again and wants a relationship with you. And that way you can be reconciled to God and you can know exactly what we're talking about here today. And then you will want to go out and share that with the world around you. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to do a quick interview after this and hear from someone that is living uh, and being salt and light in society. God, thank you so much for this opportunity here today. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it informs us. It changes our minds and hearts. Lord, you've given us the truth so that we know how to live. Lord, I pray that if anyone today has been convicted of how they're living, if any believers here today are realizing that they need to get serious about being in your word and prayer and living out their faith in the world today, God, I pray that you would prompt them to make some decisions and to do some things differently. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would reach out and they would ask you to become their Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that Decisions would be made today in order to change the trajectory of futures in here today, not only for individuals, but families and for our church 
and for our culture, the society around us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and love, and we thank you for your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.